Welcome to Mamas on a Mission. If you're a Melbourne mum, you've landed in the right place. Hey, I'm Holly, the host of this podcast, Chief Mummer of Motherhood Melbourne and co-founder of Facing Motherhood. Each week you'll hear from inspiring local mummers that are on a mission to help you get through the toughest hood of all, motherhood. Season three is kindly supported by my podcast partner, Bliss Early Learning, an Australian-owned premium provider in the childcare and preschool space. Okay, let's kick things off. In light of recent events, it feels strange to say Happy New Year as the country is facing devastating bushfires. I've been contemplating whether or not to release a new episode this week, but one of the important topics that we cover is mental health. Even if you haven't been directly affected by this ongoing tragedy, the emotional impact of this disaster can be felt by all. I know this because five years ago, I had my son, and not long after, the Sydney siege occurred. Many people were held hostage in a cafe and lives were lost. One of the victims that died was a mother. (laughs) I remember being glued to the TV coverage. It was unavoidable on social media. I was consumed with knowing every detail of what happened and I was a mess. I was already finding it difficult to navigate motherhood for the first time and this event made me feel a deep sense of hopelessness and devastation about humanity and the world. So now, as we face the bushfire disaster, I want you to know that it can have a significant impact on our mental health and well-being. If you're experiencing this, I urge you to have a look at the helpful article, Looking After Yourself After a Disaster, which is on the Beyond Blue website. I've linked to it in the show notes for you. The info on this can help you see what are normal reactions and what are beyond normal. A way of helping to identify when it's time to seek professional help. There's also a helpful list of do's and don'ts when dealing with emotional impact of a traumatic event. Please take care and be safe. Okay, so now I'd like to introduce you to this week's guest, an exceptional human and Melbourne mum. Lisa Crochet Voice is an advocate for mums and the founder of Bad Mums Club. There's so much heart and intention behind what she does. Lisa has built a community, online and in person, that encourages connection and empowerment of mothers through workshops, events, online forums, free campaigns and live chats. You won't find any fluff with Lisa. She dives deep into the hard stuff, tackles the taboo, and she's been a fighting force in getting mental health on the top of the government's agenda. In this episode, Lisa shares her experience of motherhood, depression and anxiety. You'll learn more about Bad Mums Club and Lisa's work as a Beyond Blue ambassador. Then Lisa goes into full mission mode and chats about what is being ignored when it comes to mums and mental health. We also speak about the realities of working from home. Now, if you're tuning into this episode, we'd love to know. Share it on your Insta stories with a screenshot. Tag Motherhood Melbourne and at bad.mums.club or Lisa Crochet Voice. You'll find these account names and links in the show notes. Let us know what you got out of this episode and leave a review on the podcast app. Okay, now Lisa starts with telling us about her experience of motherhood for the first time. Let's meet Lisa. I always wanted to be a mum. I knew that I would always be a mother. My mum was a stay-at-home mum of four girls, so chaotic. But I always knew that it was in my life's journey. But when I was diagnosed with anxiety in my mid-20s, I held off a little bit because I was so paranoid about being a shit mum 
and how my anxiety would affect not only you know the life of my forever babies but also me in pregnancy so I kind of held off a little bit wanted to make I was really make sure that I was really ready but then it kind of took longer than what we thought as well and we were fumbling and trying and testing <laughs> for like nine months and uh, like I had no idea about you know the cycles and the fertility and the numbers I'm not a numbers person I just go with my gut and yeah it didn't work so I remember actually going to a fertility uh, to a doctor saying I think I, I don't know it's just not working and he referred me to a fertility specialist I was actually pregnant at that appointment so the irony of it I was really happy when I found out I was pregnant I knew in my gut that I was going to have a little baby girl which I did and the pregnancy was okay like you know you, you kind of whinge and moan about you know getting swollen and lack of sleep and uh, all of that but I was actually I was really happy to be pregnant I was such a super proud mum you know the the bump was like something I'd kind of show off and like people would want to rub it and I'd be like I don't want anyone rubbing my gut but I secretly wanted everyone to acknowledge <laughs> that I was pregnant and like rub my gut baby it's like a genie in the lamp you know so yeah I was really excited and then I had a pretty simple birth like labor um oh, I can't even remember what I was I think it was like I was only a couple of days early, but I took the full month off work beforehand. Thank God. Cause I went into nesting mode. Like, I don't know what, I think it was the anxiety as well, but I was like sewing bed sheets and pillows and like all the, anyway, it was <laughs> now I look back, I'm like, you should have watched Dr. Phil every single day, put your feet up and live in your best life. But I was, you know, you're in that nesting phase, but yeah, so labor was, was good. I, I actually made my um, team aware that I had anxiety in the beginning. And so they enrolled me in this course. It was a mind body baby course at the Royal Women's. And unfortunately only, think maybe 10 women each round get through and so I was one of the lucky ones I was really fortunate and it gave me strategies for the birth so I had things like uh, no clocks and I worked out a breathing technique and also the dialogue that I wanted my husband not to say which was really helpful so it was like I said don't tell me I'm doing a good job don't rub my back don't like give me baby puppy all this kind of crap I wanted to go you are smashing out of the park let's go go team like really <laughs> not aggressive but really stern and encouragement like I don't need waffy shit so the labor was quite stress-free I decided I would after we went to the hospital and then got rejected because I wasn't dilated enough I said I'm just gonna sit on the couch and meditate and I mean you know me I'm not a meditator but somehow I was like I'm just gonna meditate you go upstairs and have a little sleep because you're gonna need all the energy like don't worry about me you're gonna need all the energy for tomorrow so 24 hours of labor meditating spewing shitting you know vomiting everywhere and then I was like I think I'm ready to go in and I went in and I was like you're only four or five centimeters I'm like I have been meditating you know how is this possible and I was crying I'm like I, I can't go home I can't do the journey back home and it was like you know 15 minutes up the road and then I think they were like we'll give you a couple more minutes and I must have like wished the universe <laughs> for 10 centimeters they're like okay we're going to take you up and yeah I did a lot of breathing techniques with that but um, I found it really hard with the idea of pushing like you're pooing giving birth isn't like you're pooing you're pushing in a completely different area so I really struggled with that and the doctor came in and um, my daughter's heart rate 
decreased and they were starting to get concerned and I'm like I've got nothing left like I'd broken all the capillaries in my face um like I, ha- I looked like I'd like broken out in like chicken pox on my face and my eyes were all red and I'm like I literally have nothing left so she was suctioned out and then so that was beautiful I saw my little baby and it was just that moment um oh just I mean you know it's like that moment when you look into their eyes and you're like oh my god we made it we did it like we did this together then she fed straight away which is great and then for the next hour I had a training doctor nurse whatever um sewing me up so you know it wasn't the romantic notion that I thought it would be (laughs) going in but I was really, really proud and I was just like pushing the pram like I had the bee's knees, like, look at my little baby, oh, I'm pushing the pram, you know. <laughs> and I was just, I was really excited, but I was also really focused on doing a good job. I really wanted to be the mum that I knew I could be, the mum that I'd idealised. So everyone talks about, you know, being the perfect mum. That was going to be me. I wasn't going to be a helicopter mum, though I think I seriously was, but I wanted to be there for everything, all her milestones, all her special moments. We used to sit on the floor uh, in the sunshine. I'd read her spot books. And then when she fell asleep, I'd be like, I can't move because she might wake up. And like, totally could have moved, done like, you know, all the things I wanted to do, like have a shower. But, you know, I just, it, I was caught up in the, um, the fairy tale a little bit in the beginning. And I think that's kind of what led to the downfall that happened later. But in the beginning stage, it was beautiful. <laughs> that's my long and short. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to embrace it as much as I could because I was so fearful of stuffing it up. So do you want to go on to then tell us about, I guess, what you just described as the downfall? So what was, you know, you're in this love bubble and and then what did you experience? I had a huge shift. I had, there was a complete disconnect of me as Lisa before, pregnant Lisa, labouring Lisa, and then now mum. I really, really struggled with that shift. I didn't go with it very easily. I was kicking and screaming in a way because I felt that there was, I felt really devalued. Even though motherhood is such a beautiful, sacred thing and, you know, we create and sustain life and this is something like I'm I'm so passionate about, like they haven't worked out how to clone or to make like, you know, babies any other way and yet somehow we're just not held in that sacred space that we should be. And also because I'd stopped work, I felt like my value had dropped. I really lost the idea of who I was anymore. I knew that I probably wouldn't go back to work. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mum. And I was like, so is this what it is? Like, is this what I do every day? Like, am I allowed to do anything else? It felt like I was being a traitor to being a stay-at-home mum if I wanted to do something else as well. So, sorry, I didn't realise at the time, but I had um, postnatal depression and I was just kind of fumbling along like we all do, first-time mum, fumbling along in this kind of fog that people just streamline into the motherhood journey. This is just what motherhood is and you wouldn't have known. Looking at me, interacting with me, you wouldn't have known that, I was, I was struggling behind the scenes, but I guess because I was used to the anxiety struggle, I just kind of kept on going. Like I, I didn't, I did go back to my psychologist because I was like, uh, I remember saying to my husband, I just shouldn't be this hard. Like I shouldn't, I was connecting with my bub. There was no issue with that. I loved being a mom. I loved 
everything about it, but there was just that other side that I was really struggling with, like my identity. And, and so I went back to my psychologist and we spoke about it, but I still, I don't think I ever identified myself until years and years later as a person who had PND. It's something that's hard to see at the time, but upon reflection, and we're talking years later, Holly, years later that I realized, like when I was through all of it, like I was through the baby stage and we're talking like four years later that I really stood in that space and went, yeah, I had it. And it was really shit. But in it, you're so deep in the fog and dirty nappies. You just keep on going. You know, there's no, there's no lifeline. You, f- you shoot up a, a flare saying SOS and people are like, cool, I'll give you a casserole. You're like, okay. <laughs> You know, like, and it's not that it's anyone's fault. This is just the beast that it is. And there is something to say about, like you said, people who interacted with you wouldn't have known. My family didn't know. We're very good at masking our emotions. And I guess, like you said, there is this expectation that we're going to be a perfect mum and we don't want to not only like let down our child, but we don't want to let down that sort of perception as well we're just sort of faking it because we really have no idea what we're doing yeah we have no idea and we're kind of like there was an image going around Instagram the other day where it was like here you go new mom here's your baby off you go and it's that's kind of what it feels like and you know you don't want to fail because everything else in your life leading up to that is an uh, an achievable and 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 an attainable success you've got you've got measures of success you get a pay rise you get a promotion you get feedback but with motherhood and it's like really important job but because it's like a heart job it's not like a paid job which don't get me started but it's <laughs> like there's no measure for that but there's also no education for that there's no support for that there's no you know there's nothing there that you can go well what is what does a shit mum actually look like and what does a perfect mum actually look like because my idea of perfection was that you just don't get anything wrong but then what's wrong you know it's all about perception and I think it's based on people's upbringing and how they interpreted the motherhood to be as well we are all set up in my mind we are all set up to fail Mm. um the way that the system and society is we as the like we're so vulnerable it, it just it could be done a lot easier and a lot better and it's something that I'm, I'm striving really hard for and it's all about giving a voice to the mothers as well to say that it's okay without having the disclaimer but I love my kids I think they can be two separate things and once we address that and once we look at it head on and nurture our mothers and support our mothers not just superficially like wholeheartedly this is where the change is going to be and this is where the acknowledgement comes and this is where mental health will be reduced so how did you go then you had your daughter and then you became a second time mum was the experience similar I felt like I was better prepared but I'm gonna swear swear but it was a clusterfuck the first six months were seriously full-on for us and I'd done things like I wrote a book and illustrated a book and printed it out and read it to my daughter six months in the lead up, you know, like I was, I was onto it. I was like, we are going to smash this. I am so aware of all the things we need to do. And then we had quite a traumatic lead up to the second birth with extended family. And so the pregnancy was, um, it was a bit of, it was just a lot of, a lot of pressure and, um, and not anyone's fault. This is just the way it was. I ended up, um, two weeks early going into labor because he was so big though. Like he needed to come out. He was literally bursting. Yeah. Afterwards, like my daughter was going through a milestone, which we didn't know at the time. We, we thought she was just being a brat. Oh, poor little baby. Um, I have a lot of regret about those first six months. And I also feel 
it's such a shame that there is so much focus on the birth at the first time around. Second time around, you're kind of thrown to the wolves. But then there is not that education on how to be a mum of two kids. So newborn, you go, okay, I kind of understand this. But then you don't get to rest anymore. I had a lot of guilt over the, sh- the shift of being the mum that I was to my daughter because I thought I was doing a pretty good job. We were at a good place. But I couldn't sustain that because that was my 100%. So I felt guilty that I was cheating her out of my 100%. And then looking at my son, who's a bub, and I'm like, I'm cheating him out of 100% all the time. Like, and I, I couldn't do 50-50. It just, it was too hard. I was breastfeeding as well. So it was really hard. And I got to a point where I'm like, I have nothing to give. Like my body is just, I'm giving everything to everybody. And I'm like lying on the floor, dying here in quiet well, my own quiet. There was a lot of noise around me. Um, we were screaming kids. Like they just seemed to be screaming all the time. So I found the, tr- um, the transition really quite hard, really quite hard um, for the first six months, especially. Now I feel like we're in a bit of a groove, but we're talking like I'm five and a half years of being a mum now. What job takes five and a half years to find your feet? You know, you'd be fired or <laughs> re-educated by now, you know, like anyway. It's, it's a hard, it's, it was a hard juggle for us. And I know a lot of other parents find that as well, that the lack of support second time round, they just assume. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone assumes, oh, you know, you got this cause you did it already. You'll be fine. Totally different experience with two children. And we didn't get a mother's group again. Like I feel like there's a gap where I don't necessarily need the mother's group um my BFFs because I had that first time around I was really lucky second time around it, it was great it would have been great but I would have liked the classes where they tell you how to manage cooking dinner breastfeeding and dealing with a screaming kid all at the same time like just life stuff and can we just talk about screaming kids for a second because I don't think people oh God, yeah. understand how much it affects you when okay definitely when one kid is screaming, but having two, Mm, like, mm -hmm. you know, crying children, screaming, like at you constantly, this Mm -hmm. is the part, I guess, like I struggle with. It doesn't matter how much, you know, you've kicked goals all day. You've made the perfect breakfast, whatever. Yeah. Done everything. (laughs) Yeah. You've cut their toast the right way. Yeah. 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 Two kids screaming is just... I don't know. It's enough to like, it just sends you over the edge. Yeah. So for me, that's one of my triggers. So I'm actually quite, it feels quite nice that you say it. Cause then I'm like, Oh, maybe it's not an anxiety thing. It's just a mother thing. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, it's one of my biggest triggers and I find it hard because my kids are very vocal. So in, you know, years to come, I'm sure that's a great skill, but right now screaming in this ultrasonic and then they copy each other and they feed off each other and they bait each other. And then I'm yelling and adding to the whole volume. I like I get to the point now where it sends me so cray that I have to like block it out like I I can't even engage in the scream obviously if they're in trouble of course but if it's just whinging and whining I'm like mama gotta and I'm not drinking anymore either so I can't even numb that shit out it's (laughs) like I gotta I gotta like blank this out otherwise like I will release the beast and you don't want to see that kids so just back up <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's something really hard to go through and I think a lot of people don't speak about it and I think it's because that you know like no one, again the perfect mum thing no one wants to admit their kids are screaming and crying and in their face and then it makes you want to scream as well like you're just like you get a rage like this mother Ugh. rage but I've never heard anyone talk about it like I feel like I sometimes think, yeah yeah I'm happy to talk about it I I yelled at my kids so they were screaming at me the other week I don't know about socks or something they were both screaming at me 
I let out this scream that it like from the depth of my soul, I lost my voice, Holly. Like I was so ashamed and I felt so guilty, but yet it felt so good and it felt justified, but yet they were, they were, they, they were scared of me. And I'm like, we, I can't keep doing this. Like, it's just not okay for me to let it personally affect me. And it didn't help the situation at all, but I'm a realist. We all go there. And yeah. the less, less we, the less we care about what people think. So I'm like, people down on the street are going to hear me and call docs or like other fire brigade. Cause someone's dying in there. Um, I didn't hurt them or anything. I was screaming, but the less we talk about, whether or not it was a good thing or a bad thing, and we address the fact that this shit happens, yeah, then we can get the support and the honesty and the and the healing. It kills my soul every time I do it. We need to heal about it instead of trying to pretend like it doesn't happen. And I'm so glad you said that because that's the thing. Like we do know afterwards we feel guilty and we know like, yeah. okay, that wasn't the right response. And then it gives yes. you that, you know, when you're not in that moment when they're both you know, screaming at you, yeah, you can reflect yeah. on it and say, okay, well, next time, what could I have done? Because that's what we would say yeah. to our kids, you know, it's the totally. same thing. They get frustrated and they yell and then we respond in the exact same way. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm so glad you talked about it because I just, I feel like no one ever talks about that rage that happens and how, you know, we, we can obviously reflect upon it later and, you know, we're not perfect. So thank you. Yeah. And and I think also, just to add on to that, I think it's also, it's not as if it's this rage just comes out of nowhere. We hold a lot of stuff down all day and then it'll just be the final scream and you're like, enough. Because they come back down after their tantrums and their behaviour. Whereas for me, I kind of like it builds up and I'm like, here we go again, here we go again. And so when I let it out, it's like, I've had 12 hours of this. Like, we're done now. You need to shush. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard, hard to get that sort of quiet. And so I'd love to talk now about depression and anxiety. And, you know, I'd love for you to really talk about what did that look like for you as a mum and how do they dif- how do they differ? What are your triggers? Perfect. Love it. Um, because one of the misconceptions with, or not misconceptions, maybe people don't understand with depression, it focuses on the past. So it means all your thought processes are on past situations um, that have happened. So, you know, when I was a kid, someone did this to me, or, you know, even last week, someone did that to me. Whereas anxiety is future. So it's a lot of catastrophizing and um, worrying about what people might say or situations that might happen. And so for me, because I've sat in both those worlds at the same time, when people say, just be present, I kind of want to punch them in the face because I'm like, I'm, I'm past, present and futuring all at the same time. And so for um, anxiety, look, a lot, of, a lot of the same traits and the signs and symptoms of anxiety and depression are the same as what you experience in motherhood. And this is why a lot of people fall through the cracks and maybe feel like they don't deserve to get help or they're not sick enough to get help because it's about being sleep deprived. It's about feeling overwhelmed. Um, it's all of those natural things and then a little bit more, like it'll stay a little bit longer. So for me, I, when I explain it, I like to give like real examples of like my physical um, behaviour. So um, I, with my anxiety, I kind of go into a bit of a rut and I feel really low and I feel angry and confused all the time, but I also feel really alone and I also want to be alone, um, which is kind of hard because you really want to be connected with someone and feel acknowledged and loved, but you also need space to clear out all the talking in your head. Um, 
And it feels like for me, like I'm in a dance, like a tornado and anyone who comes near me is like collateral damage. And so even though I don't want them to be affected and I try so hard to contain and control it, it actually makes it worse. And so um, to let off steam, I'll either scream and shout or I'll pick a fight or, you know, these are before I learned other skills like, you know, self-care and mindfulness and all that sort of thing. So back in the day, it was really quite hard to to contain it um, and I, I, uh, I find my OCD clocks up so when I was um, kind of a new mum I used to um, have to fold and refold the clothes in my kids cupboard and drawers to make sure they were all set exactly the same and it was all really pretty Instagram would have been great back then because I nailed it um, and I remember with the thank you cards after the um, with the birth of my daughter, I said to myself, I had to handwrite 50 thank you cards with a personal individual note to these people. Like surely that time would have been better spent sleeping. I don't know, but I had to get it done. Um, and um, other things like I would have to sing the same series of songs for nap time. Otherwise um, she might not go to sleep things like that um that was with the anxiety and i'd get like a racing heart rate and um sweating and then thought process run a million miles an hour and so you've got the screaming happening externally but internally you're screaming too so there's a lot going on and so that's for the anxiety but in the fog or for my postnatal i call it the fog so i've got the rut and the fog so it's a really crowded place um I wasn't, I felt like I couldn't make decisions and um, my memory was affected. Um, I, I was quite low and dark in my mood and my thought processes um, and I felt really isolated and I really wanted to feel connected, like really needed that connection with that, whereas anxiety, you kind of need that distance. Um, and I would withdraw as well and, um, and be quite negative, like everything had a pessimistic kind of a viewpoint to it. Um, so it was quite it was quite hard to have both of them running simultaneously and conflicting as well. Um, but I've found that a lot of mothers experience similar things um, and getting a diagnosis either is something they're afraid of or something they welcome because it acknowledges and validates how they're feeling. But then they also don't want to be labelled as well. They don't want to possibly, a misconception is that your kids will get taken off you. and like. The system, even though, you know, it needs a lot of work, it's trying to work for the best of the family. So the statistics are really high. You could see that they're at epidemic levels. But the best thing, like I try and offer hope, the best thing with the statistics for mental health is that it means that you aren't alone. And one of the things of mental health is that you feel, like with an illness, you feel that it sabotages you to question whether or not you are sick or not, how sick you actually are, if this is a thing or if this is a real issue that you need to address. Like it's constantly saying you're not good enough, you're not sick enough, you're, you're, you're never, ever enough. And these are things that people feel anyway. So it's on top of that. But um, the, the, the cycle of isolation, I, I've kind of come to think of, oh, my gosh, so if like one in three have depression or I think it's one in six having no one in six have depression one in three have anxiety like I feel really bad for those people but I'm also like oh my god my people I found my people I'm not alone 
There are other people who know exactly what I'm going through. That means that I'm not the first one to have to go through this. You know, climbing out that rut's not going to be as hard because like probably someone standing next to me at the kinder line might be feeling exactly the same. So if we open up the communication and find those people, we can kind of build our tribe, which is quite, it's kind of nice. You don't have to justify or explain yourself to, of why you feel that certain way. Would you like the chance to win free childcare for a year? Thanks to my generous podcast partner, Bliss Early Learning, you can. Bliss Early Learning is an Australian-owned premium provider in the childcare and preschool space. They currently have four locations in Melbourne, Cranbourne, Sandringham, Williams Landing and Wyndham Vale. Bliss Early Learning are known for providing more for free and they're taking this up a notch by providing one family the chance to win free childcare for a year in one of their Melbourne locations. This comp is worth up to $39,000. Last year, they gave one family in Cranbourne one year's worth of free care. And in 2020, that could be you. To be in with a chance, visit bliss.edu.au forward slash win and enter your details. To get three additional entries into the comp, book in a tour at one of the Bliss Early Learning Centres. Visit bliss.edu.au or call 1300-717-777. Entries close 31st January 2020. So head over now to bliss.edu.au forward slash win for your chance to win free childcare for a year. I've popped a link in the show notes so you can enter now. Good luck, Mama. New South Wales permit number LTPS forward slash 19 forward slash 39442. For full terms and conditions, visit bliss.edu.au. No, that's good. And thank you for sharing the examples too. I think that really helps. Like you said, people don't know, they question it. Do I have this? You know, is it real? Things like that. And I think when you hear real examples of how people experience it, and I love how you shared the differences between the two, it made it really clear. So then I guess this opens it up for now talking about your mission. So Bad Mums Club, so what is it all about? When did it start? How did it start? I was walking to a pop-up pub in the, the eve of New Year's Eve of 2017. And I'd been a stay-at-home mum for four years. And I was talking to my husband about like, you know, surely I can't be the only one going through this, feeling like, you know, there's got to be more. Like this motherhood journey, I didn't subscribe to it. There's got to be something more. There's also got to be mums out there who are willing to talk about the warts and all version of it. And I wasn't on Instagram and I wasn't really on Facebook that much. So I didn't actually know what was out there. I did zero research, Holly. I was just like, I went with my gut. I was just like, there's got to be some people out there who feel the same way as me and aren't afraid to speak to that. Or maybe I can provide a safe space where they can speak and feel that when they do that it's okay there's no judgment in the club like zero judgment in the club you come as you are so um the club it's interesting when I tell people that I have a business that's bad mums club they kind of look at me and they're like oh yeah what's that about and I'm like yeah it's a it's a lot of fun but it's also we are breaking the mold of what a perfect mother looks like you come as you are you can come uh, so the way that we do it is I run events and workshops currently where we break the cycle of isolation. We talk really strongly about building connection, but also that moment where you reconnect with who you are as you are now. I'm like, drop the idea of the pre-baby mum or the, pre, the pre-baby you because were you really happy back then anyway? Because I know I wasn't. There were things back there I was like, oh, I wish I could change. I want to be my 20-something self. You always want to be what you can't have right now. Drop that idea and just find the love and the beauty in who you are now because like seriously you've just created and sustained life 
you're a God, like you're amazing. So why shouldn't you love yourself? Absolutely sick. Yeah. So in the club, we talk about that in the workshops and events, they're, they're centered around how we can build self-worth and empowering of mothers as well. And there's no membership for our club. Like, you know, you just roll on in and you join in the conversation. It's all about making that choice of being, making the choice to be who you are and come as you are, but it's yes instead of no. So often we say no because we're afraid and we don't want to feel judged. And, you know, it's hard being a mum. Sometimes you're out of the loop and you're like, I don't want to make a new friend because like, what if they don't like me? Let's just drop the crap. You're amazing. Come as you are and then meet some other mums. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the club. <laughs> we're, we're, we're growing slowly. We've, we're doing a lot of really powerful and meaningful changes at the moment. And, um, the, the message is getting out there. You're doing a phenomenal job, Lisa. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank and everyone you. should join the club. <laughs> yeah, they should. The more the merrier. Like seriously, the more the merrier. They're, everyone's welcome. Absolutely. Um, and you also are a Beyond Blue ambassador and you share your stories at workplaces and events. Why did you choose to partner with Beyond Blue? And also for those who don't know, what are some of the services that they offer for mums? So I decided in uh, June of this year, actually it was before that, in June I went for the meeting um, to be an ambassador, but I decided this year that I needed to speak to many people and the people I can't reach within the club. And these are the people who um, may not be open to the conversation. Uh, And so I wanted to get into workplaces where uh, maybe the ethos in the workplace isn't pro mental health, but um, there would be someone in there who would know someone or are someone who is struggling or having challenges. They're the people that I wanted to talk to as well. And so I chose Beyond Blue because their main focus is on um, anxiety and depression. And because I have both of those, then it was a really easy pick. It's also beautiful because pretty much everyone I speak to knows who they are. So that's half the battle is when you're talking about mental health is finding um, a charity or a foundation that people are aware of um, and has that credibility and that um, reputation behind them. So um, I, yeah, I I thought it was uh, important to align with them because I can speak to, to what they do and also who they provide. So I've actually written a list. I did a little bit of research for you because I want, I want mums to know some of the resources because one of the common things is they're like, I don't really know where to go and I don't have the time to look and it's too hard. It's too overwhelming. I get it because when you're in that place, the last thing you want to do is sit there and read a gazillion forums and find out which one suits you. So beyond blue, um, they have a 24 hour, seven day a week support line. Um, and when you ring that line, you will speak to a trained mental health professional. Um, and I think it's just the cost of a local phone call. Uh, and that's straight on their website. So you can do that, literally get on the website from your phone and make the phone call from your phone. So if you're stuck on the couch with a kidney and you need to talk, you just dial that number. Um, they've also got online chats um, where you will, if you don't feel up to speaking to anyone directly, you can... Um, you know, contact someone through the online forum and it is from 3 p.m. to 12 a.m. seven days a week. So I think that's really good too. Um, They have an email where you can get a response from anything that you ask them within 24 hours. So it's all about critical time. So when you're in that moment where you reach out, you need to be supported right then and there. 
because otherwise, you know, you might chicken out or not chicken out, but you might second guess and you might back away. You don't want to be held out vulnerable and then just left to dry. You know, you, you want to be nurtured and hugged and supported. They also have, um, if you go out to the professional tab, um, you find it within their menu, there's a professional tab and it's um, find a psychologist. It's really good. So you type in um, your location and also the area of focus that you need. And they come up with a list of people in your area, which is fantastic because if they're on the Beyond Blue site, then they're reputable. Um, and then you get to see an image of them as well. Um, so if you want a female, if that works for you, they also have links to online forums for mums, um, who can't get out of the house so they can support you there and there is a fabulous um page it's like a link on a link but it's um you go into the um who does it affect then down to the pregnancy and early parenting bit and then in it is a link to um parenting support it's a whole page on how parents can be supported so it's got a lot of articles support lines um, specifically for parents and they've even broken it down into age groups. So um, I will actually put the link in my bio for people who are wanting to get to that section of it. So you're not having to feed through all the rest. Um, it's a, it's really good. I went through it the other day and they've updated it. It's really, really useful. Look, I know it's hard to reach out to a service and I'll be really honest with you here. I haven't, I haven't called the call line. I've sourced a psychologist um, myself in the past and but what I want you know our listeners to know is that if you need it and you don't feel like you have someone in your life you can turn to or you want someone outside of the inner circle this is a fantastic resource because they're there they're there for you they're there primed for you and they're ready to go and they're going to give you professional help and strategies so I just don't want anyone to feel like there's nothing out there and they're completely stuck. These are, these are there and waiting. That's fantastic. Thanks, Lisa. And so you are so passionate about opening up the convo about taboo topics. Mm -hmm. uh, so what topics do you feel are still not being addressed enough when it comes to mums and mental health? What's, what's missing? What's being ignored? All right. I'm going to get a tad ranty. So, you know, <laughs> I apologize anyone who, you know, we're going to rant town now because I feel I'm, I'm so passionate about this and I really want the conversations to open up to give mothers proper, holistic, proactive and preventative help. That's how you maintain mental health and wellbeing. You know, Band-Aid fixes, they don't work. So how can we help mothers now, but mothers who, or women who are going to be coming into the motherhood journey? So for me, um, you know, the impact, I want the impact of giving birth, I want it to be addressed wholeheartedly, like longer stays in hospital if needed. Um, I, I want, uh, you know, more mental health checks throughout the journey. Can we chuck out the six-week check where you have to say whether or not your body works again, let's have sex to make sure it's okay. Like that to me is it's an insult to the women who've gone through this journey. I, I would like that the uh, maternal child and health is, is an overhaul with that. But specific topics is like if we if we could openly talk about um, miscarriages and stillbirths about you know having children with special needs or added needs disabilities um, fertility and adoption 
um, those things are under such a cloud and, and mothers who have children in this category or have experiences in this category have to deal with so much emotional struggle as well as everything else. And when we share our stories, when we do allow that, then healing can happen for these women and they don't feel like they have to pretend like it didn't happen or it's not real. And it's so goddamn real for them. Um, I also would love um, that there would be a conversation about the physical side. I mean, you speak about it quite a lot, you know, postpartum and all that. Can we get proper support for mums to have physical rehab, which will then help with their mental rehab? Like, um, I love equality. Can we talk about the role of parenting, the impact of parenting, the impact of being a parent on your marriage? And the process that that takes. Can we talk about if people feel like they are separating or divorced? That process. There is so much that we're not allowed to talk about and I don't understand why. Hmm. Like what are we afraid of? Because for me, it doesn't look like it's working for us at the moment anyway. So if we just open the channels up for the conversation, surely we can't lose. It can't be any worse than what it is. And it might just be better. And I think that's a risk I'm, I'm definitely, I'm prepared to take that it might be okay if we open up those channels of conversation. And so I find it interesting. People are like, Oh, it's a bit controversial or, Oh, maybe you shouldn't talk to that. But that's only a few. The majority of people come back to me and say, thank you for talking about it. Thank you for being so open. I wish more people would talk about it. Thanks for being real. And I'm just like, thank you. I appreciate that, but I shouldn't be in the minority. I, I want to bring up my kids to, to speak openly about their truth and it doesn't mean you're going to hurt anyone it doesn't mean you're not kind it doesn't mean you're disrespectful this is just life like can we get on with it and stop pretending like it doesn't impact us as much as it does and how do you see that sort of happening then how do you see women coming together and taking charge of that because we can't just sit back no I sort of gotten to the point now where I'm sick of asking um, because I get told no so I'm just going to do it (laughs) I love that yeah. Uh, and it, it happens in little ways. It happens in the choices that you make. It happens in the dialogue that you have with your children. It happens with being proactive with your mental and physical health to make yourself stronger. That then gives you the ability to use your voice. It's surrounding yourself with people who believe in you and who bring you joy, flush out toxic people because it just, it sucks the life out of you. And that's okay. They're just not the right time for people for you right now. But you are the biggest priority in your life. That, you know, there's this saying, always a saying of, you know, happy wife, happy life. That drives me insane. But then there's the one about the parent, you know, if the mummy's happy, then the kids are happy. Cool. How about I be happy? And then if everyone else is happy, that's a byproduct. But I should be happy and I need to be happy because that's just what's right. And um, I feel like there is a a really lovely social wave that's happening right now in in the climate that we've got and women are using their voices. There is the Royal Commission into the mental health um, system going on in the background at the moment and I hope the reforms will come through to make it an easier process for us to get help and access help. But in the meantime, the way we can do it is if you feel like that you're needing help, and you feel like that the systems are not for you, you need to build your tribe and, and strengthen the relationships with the people in your life. 
open up the conversation with the people in your life. And it could be as easy as saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling so great right now. They don't have to fix you, but it's having been open to that conversation. So it's um, a lot of self advocacy needs to happen. I think also we need to own it. So I, I like, I don't want to, I'm not judging mums now. We need, we need to own it. Do we want this? And if we want it, then we go and get it. No one else is going to do it for us, Holly. Mm. So we use our voice in proactive ways and we don't subscribe to all the shit that's out there that doesn't service us. Beautifully said. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Okay. I'm getting very emotional listening to you. And um, yeah, no, that that was... Are we getting fired up? We're going to start a political campaign. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But we're going to shift a little bit, um, the focus. And because I talk to so many women on here who are basically working for themselves and we never actually talk about this. There's, Mm. and for those who don't, own their own business they may have a lack of understanding or a little bit of jealousy like oh you get to work at home that's so yeah, cool that's so, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 or you get kind of like or not even that you have a job like it's like you right. know, a hobby oh, oh you know you you're at home you know you're with your kids oh yeah you do that other thing yeah um, yeah so, you, you tap on the computer yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to know then can you explain some of the positives and the challenges about what it's like to work from home look it's bloody hard uh, I, I won't even filter this for people who are thinking of getting into their own business. There's no romance in this. It's not like rainbows and it, it's really hard, hard work. Um, it's very rewarding. You can own all, 100% of it when you work for yourself. But the balance, there is no balance. It is a constant balancing act. I am juggling so many balls. Um, and so it's really figuring out what's the priority for that day. And so some of the negatives, because I really was trying to think, I don't want to make it all negative, but some of the negatives are that I work out of the rumpus room, which is also a playroom. So I don't have a designated office. I can't leave the house. So I have to walk through the laundry every time. So I'm constantly surrounded by domestic responsibilities. Um, I only have eight hours a week that I'm child-free and I'm constantly watching the clock to go and do pickup. Um, and I work therefore after hours and on weekends as well. There's no sick leave. There's no superannuation. Well, we're working on that, but there's no, you know, like it's, it's a hard thing with, to make a business sustainable when you work from home. Um, and I find that my work is directly impacted by the health of my kids or, you know, their needs, especially if they're at home. Um, and it's really hard to switch off. You're constantly going, oh, I'll just pop into the other room or I'll just switch on the laptop or I'll just do, you know, because the office is there. It's at home all the time. Like I always say to my husband, oh, you're playing with the kids. I'm just going to duck off and like punch out a few emails. So if I was in an office, I wouldn't necessarily be doing that. I'd be like, no, I don't have to do it. I can switch off. But I wanted to give some hope. So the positives are um, that I get to see my kids grow up and experience life every single day. So I am still a stay-at-home mum. I also just am a powerhouse in the rumpus room as well. Um, The good thing is I don't have to commute, which is great. I don't have to plan um, what I'm going to have for lunch and take it in a brown bag or a lunchbox because I've got the fridge. Um, I'm my own boss, thank God, because I don't know how people, uh, yeah. You know, I love being my own boss. I love dictating how and what I'm going to do. that I don't have to ask permission um, and that 
that you can create something that you are 100% passionate about and you're not doing it for someone else's dream. It's like your dream and you work really bloody hard. And um, I, I love, I love the work I'm doing. Um, but the struggle to try and find the time and the space, the mental space to do it is something I have to really check in with all the time. Like recently, um, if I'm really honest, recently I had an anxiety spiral because it just toppled over. So the work and the family life both were a bit crazy at the same time. And um, yeah, I went to a pretty, pretty dark place again and it, it really blindsided me. So I now know that um, I have to stay on top of my mental health and my physical health to be able to sustain being a mum and being a boss babe. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a big juggle. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very good, like accurate description of what it's like. (laughs) (laughs) It's so hard. Like you get the call, your kid's sick. You've got to pick him up. You're like, call me dad. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm at work. Like just because I'm in my tracksuit pants. Yeah. (laughs) Still at work. Okay. Yeah. I often say that I'm taking over the world from the comfort of my dressing gown. Um, okay. And so with motherhood, we're moving on yeah. to this now. I mean, you've been talking about this all along, but maybe mm. perhaps some other things. What's been your personal experience of motherhood? What's surprised you and what's challenged you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess your listeners pretty much know that it's not, not all um, rainbows and unicorns with me. I, I pretty much know fluff or filter it. It's, it's been hard, but I, some of the challenges I guess were how to tune in and out of the kids tantrums and to not get involved to like switch off from helicopter mum um and let my kids experience life their own way um that I don't have to control it for them that that they're okay that's been a big challenge for me as well as the screaming we all know about the screaming um and and really focusing in on that I am enough I am doing the very best that I can with what I've got in this moment. Like I am not half-assing this. I might feel like I'm not winning every day, but I'm working so goddamn hard because, you know, you don't go into motherhood and go, oh, I'll just, I'll wing it. I'll see like, I, I can't be, bo-, like we say, can't be bothered, but it's like, of course you'll do everything for your kids. You love your kids. It's really hard some days um, to feel like you're doing a good job to really to really feel like you're hitting it out of the park. Some days you're just sitting on the floor crying into your hot chocolate going you know what what did I do oh my god why did I choose this um but the surprises are that how much I love it like I knew I would love being a mum but I get to see these little human beings grow up and experience things for the first time and oh my god like that's such a privilege to see how their face lights up for the very first time when they like go to the toilet and like keep it in a bowl. And it's like, Oh my God, it's amazing. Or like get dressed, put their socks, like this amazement and amusement that comes over them. It's just like, it's out of control. Um, for me with the feeling of not being good enough, motherhood has really cured me in the way of unconditional love that, that you feel for your kids, but they feel for you. So it's like, you know, um, that, that unconditional love of what's an all version of me, you know, I've, that's, that's actually surprised me how much I'm addicted to that. (laughs) And that even though, you know, mum's a little bit cray, that's okay because I'm still the bestest mum in the whole wide world. So it's, it's nice, you know, they don't judge you. It's um, not now, but like maybe later, but right now they love me. And that's so lovely. Like it's, it's really nice. And, um, and I think the kids have also, um, 
taught me to give less fucks about what people think about me as well. Yeah. Like I just don't really care what people think. I'm doing the best I can. This is who I am. I'm a kind person. My kids love me. My husband loves me. You know, if I'm not wearing the most fashionable clothes, don't really care. Yeah. I got spew on my shoulder. Don't really care. <laughs> you know, like the stains. Oh yeah. One of the challenges, the stains that you have on your clothes all the time. Yeah. But one of the things, one of the things, I mean, you could, you can probably agree with me on this, that you realize how strong you are. Yep. And how mentally and physically strong you are and how resilient you can be. And that, um, you may feel broken and strong at the same time. Yeah. Motherhood breaks you and then it makes you. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I, I wouldn't take it back. My husband and I often go, Oh, what would we be like if we didn't have kids? And then we both start crying and we're like, I couldn't actually, knowing our kids, I couldn't actually imagine a life without them. They are just the most beautiful things in the whole wide world. And they definitely give you courage like to actually take chances, take leaps to to live your mission because, you know, you, you're telling your kids to do that every day and all of a sudden it filters through to you and you're like, okay, well, I'm telling them to be brave. Now it's my turn. Exactly. You, you have to parent yourself sometimes. Fantastic. Okay, and now, oh, I don't even know what you're going to say for this one, but I cannot wait to find out <laughs> what it's is a perla. Yeah, what's a random fun fact about you, Lisa? I have so many, Holly, but I no, thought I'd one. just make... <laughs> I know. I, I decided to make this one the one that I share um, in public. Um, when I was breastfeeding, I read somewhere that it was really good to get rid of wrinkles. So I would squirt out a bit of milk, rub it on the ass. And then I'd be like, oh, maybe a bit on my forehead. I'm like, oh, down on the chin. And it ended up having like a full breast milk mask. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it stinks. So when it dries, it is the rankest and it goes crusty. And so you've got this disgusting mask on your face. And I don't even know if it worked on the wrinkles. I did use it for scratches as well. You know, it's like the Kleenex of, <laughs> you could put it on everything. So that's my, um, that's my random fact for you. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> just I don't recommend it at all. It's disgusting. <laughs> Bad Mums Club releases breast milk mask. <laughs> breast milk. Yeah. Oh, horrible. Love it. <laughs> well, you look lovely, by the way. So maybe. Oh, thanks. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Now we're going to wrap things up and I want mm-hmm. people to know what services does Bad Mums Club offer? Where can they find you, connect with you and become a bad mama? So we hang out on Instagram and Facebook. So you just type in Bad Mums Club. There are a few around, but the best one is the one with my face on it. And um, I've got a little toy covering my eye. So, you know, if anyone is looking for a weird a photo of someone that's me join the club so um we put out monthly newsletters with really uh educational uh, and inspiring articles uh i also have workshops and events that i um sell tickets for so people can come and engage um and connect that way um they can meet me in real life which is quite nice um i've got a podcast coming out in December so I'd love people to join that and um, join in the conversation around that Uh, and I have my wonderful website which is currently being updated um, but it's www.badmumsclub.com but I just love for people to 
drop me DMs and comments and I love to chat. Obviously you can tell, but I love to <laughs> chat. So if people want to come and find me and give me a high five, I'm all for virtual high fives. Well, we've come to the end of this episode. And if you love hearing from inspiring and entertaining Melbourne mamas, subscribe to Mamas on a Mission. Bonus hugs to all of you who also take the time to leave a review. Thank you. If you're keen as beans for more information about the podcast, my guests or myself, jump over to motherhoodmelbourne.com.au. Okay, mama, that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in.